five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, episode 72 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibes. Squid, how are we keeping, my man? Not too bad, Michael. Uh, I mean, I haven't golfed in about a week and a half, two weeks because of the rain. and The yeah. course has been pretty much shut down because it's, it's almost impossible to golf, so... But other than that, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I got to play hockey uh, fri- uh, Friday, two games, and that was kind of nice to get out and be able to do that. So all good. And you get to talk to me. We've got a great guest today. And speaking of which, we do. Yeah. Our guest today was selected 73rd overall by the Los Angeles Kings in 1980. Enjoyed a 17-year career, spending half of it in L.A., had stops in New York, Edmonton, New Jersey, Chicago, and San Jose. Played 1,127 games, scored 475 goals, 734 assists for 1,209 points. Better than a point a game. Pretty impressive. Three all-star appearances. Mm-hmm. Represented Canada at the World Championships in 85, which you're a part of that team and we'll get into. Please welcome to the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show, Bernie Nichols. First off, Bernie, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Nice to see you. Now listen. How you doing, Bernie? <laughs> I'm doing good, Ricky. How you doing, bud? Not bad at all. Now, how are you keeping busy this yep. You're in the car, so tell us where you're going. I'm actually going to Muskoka Bay, uh, probably my favorite golf course in Ontario. Uh, um, I used to trap with my dad uh, when my dad was alive, and. Uh, they got some beaver problems over there, so they asked if I could come and get rid of them. So I said I would. <laughs> wow, you, you're more, you're you can do a lot of things, then, eh, Bernie? <laughs> so, Bernie, before we get into your career, your name has come up a few times on the podcast, and while your scoring prowess is always acknowledged, you're also noted for keeping the lads on their toes when on the road. I know you and Squid played the World Championships in '85 uh, together. But he remembered you more for subtracting a few years off his life one day when he went into his hotel bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I sure did. That was one of my favorite things to do. And uh, I used to do it all the time in L.A. And then when I got to the World Championships, I didn't know anybody there. I knew, obviously, everybody, but wasn't as close as I was to everybody else. But, yeah, I got squid one time in the bathroom. It was Oh, man, was he scared. I scared the hell out of him. Oh, God. So explain what you do. Well, normally I, what I do is I'll just get uh, the roommate. I'm not sure who Squid's roomie was that time, but I just get the room key. After pregame, I'll go in and get See, in there, the shower. But there's a tough part. There's a tough part, though, Bernie. I didn't have a roommate there because I – for some reason, we had an odd number, and I had my own room, and I'm going, how the hell did he get my key? <laughs> well, you know what? I probably went to the front desk there, and they wouldn't even know. I just told them I was Ricky Vive, and they just gave me the key. Uh, I, but I had to find out who's – well, we were 
probably right beside one another. So I knew anyways. So anyways, I just went in, uh, got in the shower. Because after a pregame, normally the guys go in, go to the bathroom, then take their nap. So I'm in the shower. Curtains pulled. Normally, the toilet's right beside it. Squid sat down, and I ripped that shower curtain out and screamed at him. And, oh, man, he was like a little kid. <laughs> I got him good. Oh, boy. I, I swear to God, that, that probably was the best of all time because I didn't know what to think. I was like, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some guys. Marcel Dion fell flat in his ass. Right off the toilet. <laughs> Scott Stevens ran out of the bathroom and laid on his bed and started kicking his feet. Like, it's amazing, these big, tough guys, if you get them right, uh, you just never know what to think. So. Now, how did that start? That became your signature move. Did you just make that one Did somebody get you once? Yeah, no, no one got me. I don't know how that started but i always did that right like um probably my favorite all time and i i know squid's probably heard it but we were in training camp in victoria pat quinn's our coach uh we got two young french kids in the room beside me and it's like 12 30 in the morning and i look over and they're sliding glass doors open so we're like five floors up. I jump over the balcony onto theirs and I I open the sliding glass door and I crawl in on my hands and feet, my knees. <laughs> and I, I'm sneaking right in the middle of their floor and I look and there's there's no one in this one bed here. And I'm thinking, holy shit. And I, I'm crawling over the foot of the other bed. There's two people in that the other bed. And I'm thinking well you know two french kids are lonely i don't know what the hell's going on right <laughs> so i stand up in the foot of the bed and start screaming two elderly ladies sit up in bed and they lose their <laughs> mind fucking screaming at me like and i go oh my god out the out the door i go and they're looking seeing this guy going out the door they don't know or out the window they don't know where i came from but i go flying back out the sliding glass doors jump over the balcony and get in my room and uh oh man they're screaming the phone's ringing all of a sudden you know in no time i hear knocking on the door beside me them they called the cops uh they end up leaving that night and uh so next day in practice uh well i tell mike murphy he's our assistant coach and uh at breakfast then mike comes in I'm getting dressed. He said, look, Pat found out and he is pissed. And, you know, I know, I know you guys all know Pat Quinn and he was yeah. probably my favorite coach. And that reminded me of my dad. He was a big burly man and he may have been the only person coach that ever intimidated me. Right. And Pat skating around, he's got a stick upside down. And he won't blow a whistle. He's just whacking it against the ice and paint chips are coming off and he just, he won't blow the whistle. Right. And I go, holy shit. So he uh, he blows the whistle and just, Nichols, come here. <laughs> you know? And now I go skating over and he goes, what the hell did you do? Like, he didn't know it was me, 
but he knew it was me, right? <laughs> like, uh, he just knew it was me. Uh, because all the rooms and stuff, and, like, the cops, they called him. They got him out of bed at, you know, whatever, 1 o'clock in the morning. And so I, now I got to tell Pat the story without laughing. And that's not hard because he's got me scared. But then finally I'm telling he breaks down and starts laughing. But he said he was he was gonna let the cops take me to jail. That's how pissed he was. But like I said, he wasn't a hundred percent sure, but he was. So that's my claim to fame as far as scaring, you know, the one that backfired, I guess, on me. Uh, <laughs> Well, sometimes you got to take the bad with the good, Bernie. So, I mean, that yeah. was one of those situations. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, so that I mean, I, I can tell you, a few guys have told us about you, and they want, they're still scared of you today, even if you're on a Zoom call. They're still worried about you jumping out from somewhere. So, you, your That's legend right. has got legs on it still. Okay. Yeah, good, good. So, speaking of which, let's go back to the early days. You're from Northern Ontario, uh, Halliburton, West Guilford is where you grew up. Speak to the minor hockey days leading to playing with the North York Rangers and the Ontario Junior League, and then moving on to Kingston. Yeah. Um, you know, I left home actually when I was 16. I played minor hockey, and my little town, there's 1,500 people. So we were like D division. Uh, so I played, I played up every year. Uh, I was playing junior d when i was 15 still midget and uh so it was actually my cousin craig stamp was in uh where the hell was he 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 was just uh i can't think where i played junior how bad is that um <laughs> I uh, join, join the club <laughs> uh okay uh down by uh london uh oh my god how bad is that played junior d i played junior b down there and i got drafted to um to kingston so um yeah i can't believe i i, I just drew a blank there That's well you played for the north york rangers the north york rangers in the tier two league and then you went to the, the when then you went to kingston yeah so uh, I played half or I played most of the year there and I got called up after uh, after playing there. I played North York, which was great. And then and then got on to to Kingston. Uh, got drafted out of Kingston when I was 18 uh, and then went back and played my my last year in Kingston. So, you know, I think I I think I was good enough to play up. But then when you got kids that just sign and it's one-way contracts, you know, I think because uh, when I went there, I went to the minors my first for half a year. And then finally they bring me up to L.A. But, I mean, um, you got first-round draft choice that they give them the contract back then. And so, you know, then other guys that should be there don't get a chance. So they send them to minors and which worked out all right. Cause I, I go down there for, I played like 50 games down there and score 43 goals. So they, I guess they figured, well, uh, we better get him back up and, and then the rest is kind of history from there. Well, getting drafted in 1980 squid, that was your era too. So like the draft was much different than it was today. So what kind of talk was there throughout the year that you might get selected? And then when you did get picked, how did you find out? 
You know what? Uh, I think we, we kind of felt we would, and I don't know if Ricky was the same, because you got agents, right, that are wanting to come and take you out, and they're telling you you're going to get drafted and this and that. So uh, I end up signing with Ricky, uh, uh, Bill Waters. Uh, Rick Curran. He, he uh, was my agent then. and But I'm at home. And we didn't go to the draft back then. I don't even know if they had one, Ricky. I don't know if you went. Uh, but I no. end up I'm coming home, and my mom comes running out of the house and said, you just got drafted by the L.A. Kings. You know, I grew up up in Halliburton. Uh, you get Trump Maple Leafs every Saturday night, and we had two channels growing up. Honestly, I didn't even know the L.A. Kings had a hockey team. So, <laughs> but um, But it was awesome. I think, you know, as a kid, you just want to get drafted. And for me, it was the Kings, and it worked out really well because other than Marcel Dion, that's all they had there, right? So um, it worked out well. Well, yeah, mine was during the um, the merger, uh, the WHA in 79. And, and of course, uh, you know, we had the same thing. We just waited by the phone and, uh, you know, got a phone call and uh, – yeah, the Van- Vancouver drafted you fifth overall, and uh, it was like, okay. Uh, I was hoping, I, th- I thought it was going to be Washington, but it wasn't. It ended up being Vancouver, and, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't a big deal. Like Bernie said, I mean, you just wanted to get drafted and play in the National Hockey League. Yeah. You know, exactly. so kind of like, okay, let's go. Let's start working and get at it and see how it works out. Well, Bernie, you ended up in New Haven, as you said. 71 points in 55 games as a rookie, including three hat tricks in a row at one point. I'm sure you must have been sitting there and saw, you already alluded that you thought you might have been able to play up. You must have been thinking it's just a matter of time when the call comes to join the big boys. But when the di- that day did happen, take us through that and how, what happened and talk about your first game. You had kind of a memorable first shift too, I believe. Yeah, my actually my three hat tricks was when I – was up in LA, but um, I, I was called up one time during the season, and you know, you just it's confounding sometimes with with coaches back then. Like I went through nine coaches in LA in my first nine years, but Parker McDonald's the coach. We're in LA, uh, we get beat five nothing, and I don't get a shift. You know, and you're thinking you got a, a horseshit team. And you're getting beat five nothing. Try this kid out. You know, he scored 40 goals in the minors in 50 games. I'm pretty sure he can play. But um, the first game I actually played was in Calgary at the old Calgary Corral. And uh, Ricky, you'll know that place. The boards were like five feet tall. But one of my first shifts, big Jerry Corab, someone hits him from behind into the boards. He's laying on the ice, and I'm looking, at someone's banging on the glass. And I come over, and Jerry's teeth are on the ledge of the glass <laughs> on the dashboard. Ooh. I went, holy shit. Welcome to the NHL, kid. So, <laughs> But then I finally got called up. Uh, we were on a road trip, and my mom and dad drove down to New Haven. And they just get there. And uh, I get a call. I'm going to uh, – I get called up. And that time it was for good. And so they, they come down there and turn around and have to go. 
but they were happy for me. Um, but it was my ninth game. I scored two goals. Uh, my first one was a shorthanded uh, breakaway goal I scored. And then I went back home and uh, then I scored three hat tricks in three straight games at, at home yeah. in L.A. So uh, I kind of let them know then, I guess, that, you know, maybe I should be playing here. <laughs> well, that's, that's a pretty good indication, I would think. Yeah. yeah. If you get yeah. three hat tricks in a row, that, <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I think I should be playing. <laughs> yeah. So it worked uh, out really say- well. Well, so you end up with the Kings. The magic continues. You put out the big numbers in the American Hockey League. You move into the NHL. You keep putting up the numbers. You guys upset the Edmonton Oilers in the first round. Uh, was your head in a swivel while this was going on? You know what? Um, that was such a great series for my first one ever. Uh, we had Miracle in Manchester. Uh, we're down 5 nothing. Yep at home in game three there's 12 minutes to go in the third period and gary under takes a five minute high stick and penalty we scored two goals on that power play and then i think we scored with like a uh maybe two or three minutes left in the game and then polar goalie scored polar goalie again and scored to tie it and then win it in overtime and and then we go back to edmonton and and we beat them but the funny thing is uh, we weren't supposed to beat them. Like they went on after that and they won like four to five years. They win and we should never beat them, but we did. Uh, but we had to fly back with them on the same plane. Cause Peter or not Peter, uh, Jerry Buss knew we weren't going to win. Uh, and we knew he knew there wouldn't be no game five. So he wasn't getting blamed for us and, you know, <laughs> beat them. And, and then we, we have to fly back with them. So, they're on the back of the plane. We're in the front of the plane. And I think the reason was that when we got to Edmonton, customs probably would have kept us there all night. Uh, so we get off first. So they had to let us through before the orders come through. But that was a lot of fun. You know? Uh, so then so then you win the game and then you got to fly back commercial. That's right. Well, then I think we went to Vancouver right after that. Uh, because I think we started um, two days after that or something. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, Bernie, I'm that's not summer. Sure, I'm not oh, sure too many guys packed for Vancouver because, yeah. you know, I don't think we're supposed to win that game. Uh, well, uh, so you finally get, the season comes to an end. So, during the summer, at any point did you start thinking, this can't be this easy? You played at a point and a half game pace in the AHL and over a point a game in the NHL. I mean, here you are, a rookie, and lighten it up. Yeah, um, you know what I, and and it's not to sound like sarcastic or anything. And Rick can do that too because obviously goal scoring came easy for some. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah. my my whole life as a kid, you know, you're always the best player and. And then you go to the next level. And it's like, you know, as a dream, and I, I'm just thinking Rick's the same. All we ever thought about is just playing the NHL, right? And so everywhere you go, you're the better player, the better player. And then you're in, in uh, Kingston, and you're the better, the best player. And you're thinking, holy geez, I got a shot here, you know? <laughs> the next yeah. step's the NHL. <laughs> and, but goal scoring just 
it just came easy for me. And, and I don't mean it in a, you know, yeah, I, no, I, I see the ice real well. Uh, I, I always thought I was a, a good passer, but it's like, uh, it just, and it's not that it's easy because it's not, right? Uh, and, and people say all the time, well, uh, who is your favorite goalie? Or you? Like, I had great success against Grant Fuhr. You know, Grant Fuhr is one of the best all-time goalies. You know, people say, well, who do you have trouble scoring on? Well, <laughs> nobody. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that, <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds sarcastic, but I, I don't mean it to be, right? Like, because you, you have success right with with people so uh but it did it it just you know people just gifted that way you got good hockey sense you you see the ice real well um and and you make it and it looks it looks easier i guess than it is put it that way so bernie i mean yeah there i mean obviously you're right i mean there's certain people that that just have the knack and and are able to score goals or get assists or whatever the case might be but there's a lot of players who are the better players when they're younger and even when they get to junior. But when they get to the National League, they got to change their game and they got to become something else because they're not good enough to continue to put up the numbers that they did previous. So, I mean, I can remember a lot of guys coming out of junior when I was playing and they had to adopt the different roles as a checker yeah. or, you know, whatever it might be. And uh, there's, there's very few they get the opportunity to continue to play the way they did all the way up when they get to the national league. And, and fortunately you were one of those guys. And I guess I didn't, I, I didn't have to change my game either. So, I mean, it was kind right. of nice that those things fell into place. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like you got guys that you just see them and they're just can't miss kind of guys but that's in, in, minor hockey and junior but when you get to that next level a lot of guys can't take that next step you know and and you see kids today like they're faster bigger stronger but they don't have a a better hockey iq than us hockey sense right Mm -hmm. like that's a gift that i felt that i was given you were given a lot of guys back in our time did like i i went and coached with the kings there in 2012 with daryl when the boys won the cup and you watch some of the guys there and you're thinking, and, and they're the best players on the team. And some of the things they do, like I'm going, they just don't see the ice as well as they should. They don't know. Like you used to watch Brett Hall. Brett was the ultimate at scoring goals. Like he just kind of floats in and out and he hits those quiet spots you know, Adam Oates is in the puck and it's in the net. Like one minute he's out by the blue line and then you miss him and he's over in the slot. You know, like guys don't know that. And um, Williams, um, uh, what the hell's his name? Uh, played for the Kings, uh, game seven. You know, what's his name? He won all his game sevens. So he's playing with Copenhagen. Oh, uh, played with. Carolina, Carolina, late, uh, yeah, Carolina, yeah, great player, right? So he's in, he's with Kopitar, and I don't know if you guys know Anze Kopitar. He weighs two twenty eight. He's six two. He's just a monster. Like you, you can't get the puck from. And I'm watching. Cope's got the puck in the corner, and Williams is in there with him. And I see him after. I say, <laughs> "But what? Are, what are you doing? 
he he doesn't need any help but just go get open he'll get you the puck you know like you see guys do that like i'm i'm watching drew dowdy on 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 the point in the power play and cope's got the puck in the side and drew's kind of in the line of um of the defense or, or the guy killing the penalty i say bud just get open you know jump and and find a spot and and get open and he he won't do that like they just some guys just don't get it you mm-hmm. know and uh, i just think we were gifted with what to do most of the time i guess right and and you know you see yeah, guys I, that get those those uh they call them garbage goals or something like that because just often well that's just smart people being in the right place you get a lot of guys that go to the front of the net and there's five guys just all in the scrum well you see someone like gretz off the side of the net or you're off the side of the net the puck pops out you put it in the empty net people call it garbage goals no that's just smart goals you're just being in the right place at the right time that's all you know but you so, can't teach that to kids you can't teach that so bernie for you yeah. in la you're the number two center behind marcel dion how much did that helped transform your game playing behind him no it was great uh i i say this different times great players you get to watch them play every day you get to learn from them and mars was no exception like what i loved is when when mars he played with dave taylor and charlie simmer um anytime you get a chance to go play with those two guys was awesome you know but mars like Mark scored, I think, 700 goals in his career, and I don't think he scored one with a slap shot. Just a wrist shot down the wing, you know, <laughs> being in the right place. And it's just – he was he was great hands, uh, but just a, a gifted goal scorer. Like, and just to have an opportunity to play with him, learn from him, it's – you know, you can't explain how valuable that is to kids. So for you – the Kings, the next couple of years after your initial breakthrough, the Kings quietly meant about business, not too hot, not too cold, almost like a Goldilocks type team. Uh, you, as I said, continued to produce, slow a little bit by some injuries, but the emergence of Jimmy Carson led to the trade of the immensely popular Dion, obviously, to the Rangers. How was the room and that all unfolded? Did you guys think that maybe there's big turnover coming? Obviously, there was a big change coming a couple of years down the road, but before all that. Yeah. Um... I, I I didn't see the the Marcel trade go uh, coming. Like obviously with Jimmy, and you can see that Jimmy that we had good centermen. So to have an opportunity, Mars was kind of at the end of his career too. So to give him an opportunity to go somewhere else, I guess they knew uh, you know he wouldn't win here right away. Obviously that was before the next big trade. But uh, losing Mars was tough just because he was. He was a good friend, uh, mentor. Um, it was harder on the French kids because you got Luke Robitaille there. Luke and, and Mars may have lived together, uh, but Mars really helped Luke out too. So uh, it's always tough, you know, when you, you lose a, a player like that. Um, but, you know, for me, it was more ice time. Uh, Get to play with Luke a little bit more. So I, I was good with it. <laughs> well, I, I, along with that came ownership changes were coming. What did you know about Bruce McDonald in 86? He had taken an initial 25% of the team, the large, became the largest shareholder in 87, eventually buying Jerry Buss out in March of 1988. 
Well, um, Bruce was kind of hands-on from the minute he took over. He was in the dressing room a lot, and I'm not sure if you guys have met Bruce or not, but he is an amazing guy. Yeah, just a fun guy, uh, personable. Uh, he treated me great um, the whole time uh, I was there, and just a, a great owner, player's owner. Um, he, he told me how it went down with Gretz. Um, it was it was pretty cool, and um, you know he did everything for the, for the team. So I, I couldn't can't say enough about Bruce. He he was amazing. Well, let's get into that. August 9th, 1988. Not only the fortunes of the Kings would dramatically change, but the game of hockey would also change forever as well. Of course, the Gretzky trade. Why don't you talk about, had you heard anything rumbling about that? And where were you when you heard the news? And how did you take it all? And Yeah. Um, from what I remember, there wasn't any real talk about that. Um, but I, I was golfing. And uh, Jeremy Roenick told me that I heard you just got uh, Wayne Gretzky. And you can imagine what I said. I said, you out of your, your mind, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I called Bruce right away because I was really close with Bruce. And uh, and he said, yeah, yeah, we just got him. And I guess they've been talking a little bit. And Bruce was actually – or Gretz was actually in Bruce's office when uh, Peter and, and – uh, Bruce were talking and uh, and Peter was saying something kind of cutting Gretz up a little bit or something, make the deal, this, and that. So Gretz just said, do it. So uh, they made the deal. And, you know, for LA, for me, it, it was amazing. Uh, for LA, uh, it, it just turned hockey, you know, right upside down there. It was, it was the place to go. All the celebrities came out. Um, I got to, I got to hang with Wayne every day for a year. Like, and, and I, I've asked people this before, right? Like, um, from Edmonton, I said, did Wayne have a guy or whatever that he just hung with? And none of them really had that, but every day I, I was with Wayne, every road trip, it was just Wayne and I, like. Uh, it, it was unbelievable for me. And, and I don't know why. I'm uh, <laughs> definitely not complaining. Like, it, it was it was unbelievable. Gretz treated me great. Uh, so I had the most fun ever, as you can imagine, for for a year there. Well, 70 goals and 80 assists Bur later Burley. for 150 yeah. points. You picked the oh. right guy to hang around with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, Bernie, what about uh... – uh, but obviously, it was big that he he turned hockey around in, in L.A. where it became more popular. Obviously, and then it, it started to attract all the the movie stars and all the the A-list actors and that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, I know they were there before because well, I used to see them in the form club after a game, but, but yeah. not not quite like it was when Wayne got there. I think it went to another level, did it not? No, absolutely, Rick. Uh... You know, we had some guys around. Michael J. Fox came a little bit. Tom Hanks was always there. Uh, Stallone, uh, Kirk Russell, Goldie Hawn. Like, like we had them all. When Gretz came, as much as Lakers were the number one in L.A. or even the Dodgers, 
like it, it was it was amazing it was just a place to be the forum was just packed every night um bruce was always great he'd have he'd have celebrities come in he'd bring them in after games there's john uh john was there all the time what a man he was he was so much fun uh, Kevin Cosner, Bruce got Kevin in the room because Bruce does some movies too, right? So, uh, or when the the PJ Tour went through uh, Riviera, there there'd be uh, golfers there. Stadler was there a lot. Freddie Couples. Uh, it, it was just so much fun to go there. You know, I tell people all the time, like some of the people I seen uh, and hang hung out with, like Jack Nicholas or Nicholson. He he's there, right? Like it's just. You just start telling people and they're going, come on. But it, it was just so much fun to, to have everybody there. And uh, like I said, we, we had our, our 10,000 season seat holders uh, my first few years. And and then it's sold out 16-5 every night. And it was it's just so much fun to, to play. Like, you know, Ricky, you played in Toronto and you're sold out every night. And it's the place to be. And. And we finally got that there, and it's a lot of fun to play and when it's sold out like that. Well, I know that a, a friend of mine was buddies with Tonelli after you left, and I, he took me down there. We went, and so John said, you got to go to the Forum Club before the game. So we went to the Forum. They got us in. So I'm at the bar, and it, it was like uh, Oscar night in Hollywood. Yeah. Like there, the, guy, <laughs> the guy who played MacGyver was there, Kurt Russell, Greg Norman was there that night, Jason Bate, Alan Thicke, John Candy was there. And then Bruce McDonald, this huge table inside the restaurant filled with all the listers. And then somebody told me after, and in the green room, it looked like the waiting room at, on the Johnny Carson show or something, like the, the stars are in there. And we went in there after yeah. the game. And they said the number one job for any girl was the hostess or the dinner hostess at the Forum Dinner Club because of all the producers and Hollywood actors going through there, you could get discovered. So it was it, girls were just fighting <laughs> yeah. to have that job. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, like you had the Forum Club, and then you had the press lounge. Uh, yeah, there were some some big time producers there, and and there still is, right? Uh, still go to this day so yeah it's uh it, it was pretty cool for us for sure so you you have your biggest year big as i said to you before you picked the right guy to hang around with through their 150 point season okay so you you made a good selection here bernie coming from west guilford ontario the the following season you continue your real good scoring producing it at an elite level you're selected for the all-star game you know where i'm going with this but the night before the yeah. game your life gets changed forever again. Yeah. And the funny thing is there too, right? Like I said, I was really close with Bruce. Um, after I signed, and I'll tell you a quick story with that. This is how close I am to Bruce, right? Um, yep. I just had my 150 points, so my contract was up. So Bruce tells me, says, look, uh, who's your agent? I told him. He said, well, get rid of your agent, and, and I'll just – I'll do the deal for you. I said, okay, good enough. So the funny, the funny thing is, right, uh, Rogi Vashon is our general manager. So Rogi calls me and says, uh, you know, uh, what are you thinking? How much? And I said, I want uh, 750 a year for five years, right? And Rogi, no. And he's French. No, I, I I can't do that. I can't do that. Bruce would never do that. 
he says uh uh can't or, or sorry he called me in but it doesn't matter right we're, we're talking and he said no bruce would never go for that he said i said well rogi that's what i want i think i deserve that uh so i want that he says okay well I'll, I'll go talk to bruce but i know he won't give it to you right so sort of got two hours later rogi calls me back he says okay look i went to battle for you uh, he didn't want to do it, but I, I talked him into it, right? <laughs> so I go, oh, my thanks, Rogi. I can't believe you did that for me. Thank you, right? Uh, so I, I talked to Bruce. I, I had I wanted to buy a house there, right? And I'm not a businessman, and it was a million-dollar house. This is an 89. So Bruce said, yeah. He said, do it, because he said, I'll never trade you, right? <laughs> you know, three three months later from when I bought it, uh we're at the all-star game and it was actually after skills competition i'm leaving and i run into mike vernon and mike said i heard you just got traded i said what are you talking about what do you mean i get traded i'm not getting traded so i go look for bruce sure as shit yeah oh yeah i just traded in new york and i go are you kidding me right so um yeah, that was tough. Uh, like I said this before, to go play in New York was awesome. And no matter where I went to play, I, I got to play in Chicago. Um, and I, I've said this different times, right? And Ricky, as a Canadian boy, right? You got to play somewhere in Canada. And I got to play in Edmonton. And it was it was awesome. So, but um, like, like we talked about with Gretz, like I, I couldn't have, the toughest thing for me was... I, I don't know what it would be like to play with Gretz for five years, like 10 years. Like, you got to be kidding me, right? Like, you see what I did in one year with him. I, I don't know what it, it would have been so cool to play that long. So that was the disappointing part is getting traded. And uh, I can't play with Gretz anymore. Did you make Did you make money on your house, though, Bernie? <laughs> Rick. I hope you house, did. <laughs> oh, guys. The recession hit that house sat empty for a year and a half i'm paying nine grand a month no i sure oh didn't God. yeah <laughs> that thing oh man yeah that was well, good so new york you were you were still producing in new york and you said you love playing there and it was i mean it is new york but eventually another trade but you don't get trade you don't you're not involved with guys on a smaller scale that's for sure bernie because all of a sudden no. another legend comes in and mark messier yeah same thing neil smith uh my wife's having twins so i want to buy a house in new york neil smith yeah i'll never trade you oh god <laughs> so it was like this was the next year and roger nilton's my coach and i love roger we, we just played in boston and i get a phone call at 7 30 in the morning and roger wants to see me and I'm thinking, never, never even dawned on me, right? And we just traded you for Mark Messier. And I'm going, oh, God. And there, that one hurt, too, because there's another guy that I would have just loved to have played with. Um, I, I've said this different time. And, and, Ricky, you probably have someone that you played against. I was a centerman. Mark was a centerman. I had him in L.A. He was in Edmonton. We, we played them. You know, for 10 straight years, we played them all the time. 
when I'm in New Jersey, he's in New York. Uh, my fiercest competitor of all time. I just love Mark, and I, I would just love to play with him. But, you know, here I go to Edmonton now. Uh, funny thing is there, um, my wife at bed rest, so they don't want me to go. So I don't go there for two months until my kids are born on November 29th. So I show up today actually you know uh when did i show up december 1st or something after the kids were born and say that he fined me two hundred thousand uh <laughs> for not coming but the great thing about that trade is who do we meet first round the edmonton or the la kings <laughs> they got gretzky there they got uh curry there i think charlie huddy they got half you know Kruzanitsky, Marty, uh, they got half the Oilers, but we uh, we went with Edmonton now, and we knock them out in six. So that was kind of that was kind of pretty cool. Squid. Yeah, it was. Uh, no, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because it is. Uh, I mean, I got traded, you know, several times, but you know, one time I got traded for Tiger and from Vancouver to Toronto. And he said, you know, he would have liked it if Billy and I had stayed in Vancouver because he would have taken care of us and probably would have ended up playing on the left side with us. And, yeah. uh, you know, or if he had stayed in Toronto, same thing maybe. And then I go to Chicago. I got traded for, for Eddie Olchek and, and Secourt, you know, two guys that, you know, would have been great line mates as well. And then, I mean, it, it just sucks. It, it really sucks getting yeah. traded. but. Especially when you get traded for somebody on another team that you would have loved to stay, uh, have right. stayed there and play, played yeah. with. <laughs> it's like, that's right. Uh, yeah. I'm getting traded there. That, that's great. But, oh, shit, he's coming the other way. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, no uh, so, Bernie, your last few years, you end up in Chicago, New Jersey, and San Jose. It didn't really i mean you you were did you feel you're being brought in more for your mentorship of some of the younger kids because of your experience and your natural score goal, scoring ability but it didn't end quite like you wanted it to no um chicago went to chicago after my year in uh new jersey which was great and ha i thought i had two great years in in chicago uh we went to semifinals both years the first the lockout year uh the first year I think he had like 50 points in 50 games or something like that. I led the team. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I signed. Uh, San Jose asked me. Uh, I actually went and met with Dean Lombardi, was the general manager there. And the deal was they just signed Patrick Barlow. And um, my role was to come in. I'd be the number one centerman, you know, the first year. But uh, after that, take a lesser role. And, and I absolutely wanted to do that. I thought that'd be great. I love working with kids. Um, you know, if we're on the golf course and I, I can help you, I, I love, I love doing that. When I went to the Kings there, uh, with Daryl, I, I hung with the players more, right. I, I just loved helping, helping them. So, uh, I thought that was a great role. So I went there for that and it kind of didn't end up that way. And I'm still bitter about it, but, uh, that's how it was supposed to be. Yeah, he ended up taking his brother over you, I believe, to stick with the team. Yeah, and that was – and I, I don't blame Daryl for that. I'd do the same thing, right? Like, I'd take my brother over Gretz. 
Like, that's just, <laughs> you do that. But the deal was I had with Dean was I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take a lesser role. And Dean didn't have the balls to, to stand up to Daryl and say that. Like he tells me a year later, you know, oh, we made a mistake there. Well, yeah, exactly. You made a mistake, but you made a mistake because you didn't have the ball stand up to Daryl. You're the general manager and you didn't do that. So it just pissed me off. And uh, it should never went down that way because I should have played another couple of years, you know, in a lesser role and, and working with the kids. So that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but so be it. Well, I was going to say to you, you're a little bit snake-bitten if you look at it from the recognition standpoint, playing at an L.A. Because for your information, by the way, our good friend Paul Pascal, the ultimate historian, found an, an unofficial survey of fans who made you one of the top 10 players who should be in the Hall of Fame who aren't. But where I'm going with this, as a rookie, you emerge as a star player, but you have to play behind Marcel. I guess I'm not on that list, eh, Mike? Or you well, want to tell me? We don't want to hurt your feelings, okay? We got to, we got to, we got to check out the Bernie today, okay? We'll worry about you another day. <laughs> so, you emerge as a star player playing behind legendary Marcel Leon. He's moved. You're going to be the number one guy, but not so fast. Jimmy Carson comes along. Well, Jimmy Carson gets moved for some guy wearing number 99, who's not only the greatest player of all time, but probably one of the best centers of all time. I mean, even at the 85 World Championships, you got Mario Lemieux and Steve Eisenman in front of you. I'm telling you, That's right. mm-hmm. if you'd played in a place like Toronto, you'd be there'd be a statue in front of you, in front of Scotiabank Arena with the numbers you put up. Do you feel a little bit sometimes that maybe I was in hiding somewhere a little too long? Well, you know what? I don't think it's so much playing behind uh, those guys, Gretz anyways, or, or Mars as far as that goes. I honestly think what hurt me was playing on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's you know, what I was like, you know, for for 10 years, because I remember, you know, when the Olympics started coming out, they, they took kids like Jamie Ben or Jeff Carter. Jeff was out in L.A. at the time. Patrick Marlowe was up in San Jose. No one back here even knew who these guys were, you know, and I think that was my biggest problem. Right. Like um, you look at some guys that are in the hall of fame that played in Toronto, that their stats aren't definitely not better than mine, but they're in there. And you're thinking, well, how can they be in there if I'm not in there? Uh, You know, like I know Ricky scored 50. If if he had scored 70 goals playing in Toronto, they'd be in the hall of fame the year you retired, right? They did probably that year. So uh, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I yeah. don't, uh, I think my biggest problem was I was on the West coast and that's not to say that who's in there, that stats aren't as good as mine shouldn't be there. Cause there's no one in there that I don't think should be there. Let, let me go that way. I'm not, not saying that they shouldn't be there. I'm just saying you, you look at guys that are in there that their stats aren't even as good as mine, never won a cup, but, but they're not there. And then, you know, you talk about the cup too, right? Because I know there's guys in there that win Stanley Cups that, like, look at the Montreal Canadiens that the year they lost uh, um, six games or something like that, right? Like, there's guys in there that played on that team that if they weren't even on that team, they're still going to win the cup. But they're in the Hall of Fame because they won four Stanley Cups, right? Or something like that. So. Yeah. 
That's fair. Uh, well, I've always yeah. I've always said there's there's some guys that don't get noticed because of where they played or or because of how they played, and there's two guys yourself. And the other guy is Steve Larmer that I, I have no idea how the hell that you guys are not in the Hall of Fame. You play a career where you're well over a point a game. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it, to me, it's just mind-boggling, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, Stevie was awesome. I love Stevie. You bet. Yeah. Um, and he won a cup. He won a cup in, yeah, New, in York, New York. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And uh, – and the funny thing about uh, we call him Grandpa. That was his nickname. And he, I mean, he was he yeah. was like an old grandpa. But he was oh yeah, He's great guy. Sometimes yeah, but he could be grumpy and just like just kind of didn't do much. But anyway, he he wins a cup. I think he's got a, a another year or two left on his contract, and he just says, "I'm retiring." <laughs> yeah, goes back goes to back Peterborough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's like, wow, like, okay. <laughs> now, Bernie, yeah. that, getting down to, uh, we got a few minutes here, but, um, you know, you played with him for seven years. You knew he was obviously an elite player, but playing with Gretzky, you touched on even just the one year and a bit. What was one of the first things you noticed about him you didn't know before when you eventually did play with him? Well, I don't know if there's anything I didn't notice. I always say with people with Gretzky, just, expect the unexpected right like uh i said this different time i'd be standing there there'd be two guys beside me and i'm just kind of like okay and then the puck's on your stick and you're thinking how the hell did that just happen right <laughs> and that's one thing with greg you, you learn really quick that chats are good he's going to get you the puck uh because he'd sooner pass and shoot and and that's the thing too right with robbie fatoric with me because i would sooner pass and shoot myself but Robbie gave me a hard time that year. He says, he just kept telling me, shoot, shoot, shoot. Like, I think I had, I set the record for Kings that year. Like I had 400 and like 60 shots or something stupid like that. Right. Uh, that year as well. And, and that was why I, I was more, and I played with Luke Robitaille. Luke had 50 goals. Uh, and I tried to pass to him, but I mean, uh, but that's the thing with Gretz, right? And you know, one thing I, I say to people with Gretz that, and he and maybe he did it to everybody, but I know he did it to me. He'd just come up to me, uh, just by myself. I'd be sitting there, just give you a little tap on your knee pads, right? And, and just just quietly to me, he says, "Look, I need you tonight, right?" And, and Ricky, like you can imagine, like it's Wayne Gretzky, right? You go, "Holy shit!" Like it was the coolest thing for me. Just a little thing like that. No one knew he did it, but I did. It was just the coolest thing, right? And it's like. You know, you say this all the time. Great players bring the best out of everybody, right? Because you, you just want to do so well for them. Uh, but like I say, that was just, to me, that was one of the coolest things that with that with him. It was just, it was just really cool. What about away from the rink? What surprised you about him that you didn't know? Being a teammate <laughs> and you hung around with him for every day for a year. Okay, well, I tell this story all the time and, and I'm sure you guys heard it. We had McDonald's <laughs> 200 yards from our, our practice rank. Gretz, Burn, let's go to lunch. Gretz says, you're going to lunch, you're going to lunch. Friggin' McDonald's. We ate more McDonald's. <laughs> Gretz loved McDonald's. <laughs> you get the Big Mac and a, and a uh, Diet Coke and like, or Coke, and you're going, my God, Gretz, can we go somewhere else, right? But 
trust me, on the road, it was top shelf every time. Like every night we'd go out, Gretz is buying, it's like, it was crazy. But he loved his McDonald's. I know he used to, uh, hopefully he doesn't eat as much anymore, but uh, I tell people, <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even look at McDonald's anymore now, right? I just drive right on by, no chance I'm stopping. <laughs> Well, well, maybe speak to that, Bernie, too, because when you first went there in L.A., you probably lived a little bit in obscurity as a hockey player in the sunshine and all that kind of stuff with the movie stars and the other pro teams and all that. Gretzky comes along and changes all that forever. How big a change was that? And especially traveling where you guys obviously became rock stars on the road. And how well, much of a distraction thing, right? was that for you playing? No. Yeah, it wasn't a distraction. Like, like I say, it's just like playing in Toronto. To me, it was awesome. Um, when, when Gretz came to L.A., before he came to L.A., we had, I think, two reporters, right? Now he comes to L.A., and we got eight, ten reporters at every game. We go to the road. Normally, we go there, and it would be not even close to being sold out. Now it's the place to be. Whenever Gretz comes to town, it, it's a it's a show. And um, we're sold out every night. We got 10, 15 reporters there. At the zoo every night, and it was so cool. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people say, I don't know how the heck you could play when you're playing in the sunshine area like Florida or Arizona or California or whatever. I played in Birmingham, Alabama as a 19 year old, and I, I loved it because when things, you know, things didn't always go the way that you wanted them to, and when they weren't going well, that warm weather gave you the opportunity to go out and do other things to get your mind away from the game for that particular day or two until your next game. And I, I'm sure that was probably uh, one of the things for you in L.A. too, that you could get away from the game of hockey when you needed to. Well, you know what, Ricky? Like, go. exactly. And, um, you know, I remember my first flight in L.A. coming from West Guilford. You know, you grow up skating on frozen ponds outside. It was awesome. I'm flying in to L.A., palm trees, got the Pacific Ocean. But I, I tell people this all the time. I played in Edmonton after a game, after practice. It's minus 40. You're, you're starting your, <laughs> your truck and you're sitting in the dressing room, seriously, for, for 20 minutes for that thing to warm up. After practice the next day you don't go out you go straight home right i tell people you come out after a game ricky you've been there in la it's 70 degrees you cruise home next day it's like you know kids now in the playoffs day off you go play golf or something well we're at home yeah. after practice i go to the golf course go to the beach you know it's nice and and your body trust me your body loves the warm weather so as tough as it was now look at all the the warm Florida, Tampa, you know, there's three teams in California now. Uh, it's trust me when people do go to, to the warm weather, uh, they enjoy it. It, it, it was as tough yeah. as it is. And, and you don't think about playing hockey there, but when you do go there, it doesn't take you long to, to like it. What? Yeah. The only problem, the only problem, the biggest problem was when we played, there was only one team, and that was L.A. That's Everybody right. else was in the north. <laughs> well, see, that's the anomaly of it, because there's only one team. Now you've got teams in Florida, Arizona, L.A., you know, San Jose, all that. So, so there's right. lots of teams now, so it's a little different. 
Yeah. A quick story too. Uh, the Leafs were coming in real good friends with Gary Lehman. And uh, I, I've yeah, a couple yeah, of yeah. And if you know Gary, Gary's as white as snow <laughs> and he gets a little yeah. sun and he's like, a, and so they come in. I don't know where they were on the night before, but I came in after and there's two shuttle buses waiting to go to the Marriott and I parked behind it. I got a convertible. Gary gives uh, Luke Ridges and his equipment or his bag. He says, I'll, I'll see you at the rank. And he comes with me. I take him to uh, my golf course. And uh, we're out playing. We played probably about 14, 15 holes. And then we had to scoot back in and go to the game. Well, Gary, he, he like it looks like he's been in the sun for three days. He looks like a stop sign, right? Because it's so hot and he's so pale to begin with. And we're skating around warm-up. And my guys know, right? And, uh, but I think we beat, I beat, we beat you guys like three, two or something. I had a goal or two and Gary had one. So we played well. Uh, we probably played guilty, but, um, it, yeah. it was fun. And guys love coming to, to LA, uh, to play us for sure. Yeah. No question about that. Now, let's, uh, the teammate who carried himself best on and off the ice for you, the term to use today is a good pro. Good pro. My, uh, I, I've said this different times. If I could play with one guy, obviously, Grass was the one guy. If I could play with one guy my whole career, it was Chris Chelios. And for anybody who knows Chris, he could probably play today, and he's 60 years old. But Chris worked harder than anybody on the ice. He played hard off the ice. But one thing about Chris, he played hard off the ice. He was first guy on the ice the next day and the last guy off. Um, we used to work out. We used to work out in the sauna. We'd do push-up sit-ups in the sauna, worked out in the sauna. I got nine stitches in my ear in practice from Charlie. No one worked harder. No one was more dedicated. I, I know he wanted to play 60 minutes a whole game, uh, and, and I think in his prime, and I think he could have done it if he had ever had a coach that would let him, but... He, he was the ultimate professional to me. Who was the best chirper you ever played with games yeah. on the ice? Best. Oh, God. Um, Chelly Who was it? <laughs> yeah. That's the problem, right? You had so many guys. We had Kenny Baumgartner on our team. I don't yeah. know if you remember Kenny. Yeah. Harvard grad. Yeah. And, but tough. And he had a little bit of a twitch. And daddy's home, boys. And, oh, God, he was... Kenny would, uh, <laughs> Kenny would go. A lot of guys would like, uh, just chirp at you. Like, but uh, well, what about most the coaches? Guys, Some of the coaches, like, uh, you must have gone against Sather a lot playing in LA, and even you know Scotty what? Sather, yeah, Sather was awesome. He yelled at me one night because I, I kept running that Rutzelainen, that real good, they're good defenseman. Uh, but he would chirp a little bit. Dan Maloney, God bless Dan. Uh, he chirped me one night. Uh, we're playing Winnipeg and uh, Kite. There's a bit of a scrum in front of their bench, and Big Kite got a hold of me. And Dan's yelling at him to, to hit me. <laughs> Holding on to him. He didn't. He didn't. Thank God he didn't. Uh, but Dan's yelling, you know. I hated coaches that would yell at players. Like, I, I don't like that. Uh, like Daryl Sutter would never yell at his players or yell at the other 
other teams, but uh, he would yell at his players enough. But um, yeah, Scrape, you, you had a few. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I hated coaches that yelled at players on other on the other team as well. I know Slots, he used to yell at me all the time when we played Edmonton. And well, and by the way, Danny used to yell at me all the time too, but I was on his team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I was the same way. I, I don't, you know, there, I just hated coaches. Like if you couldn't go out there and put the gear on and do something about it, you shouldn't be chirping at players on the other team. Yeah. That's the way I looked at it. And then when I got into coaching, I, I took that really, really seriously. And I never said a word to one player on another no. team while I was coaching. And um, it's just, yeah. it's not right. I mean, if you can't go out and, and, and take care of it, then don't keep your mouth shut. No. Yeah. Is the way I, I like look at it. Yeah. Now, Bernie, I want a couple of, couple of final questions here for you. We know that you were love to prank guys, but who were some of the, other pranksters that you played with that uh, could sort of, you know, be the same level as you and maybe some of the guys they got. Uh, now who oh could be God. on the same, who could be on the same level as him? Come on. Well, yeah. a few, he, he, he was on, he was on another level of his own. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. But Gilmore was pretty good. There was a lot of guys, you know, Domi was another one we always hear about. And there's, there's a number of guys whose names always pop up. Yeah. You Mark know what? Um, the best prank I ever heard, and you guys probably heard it, uh, Jeremy Roney played on those kids. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Arizona. Oh, yeah. oh my <laughs> God. That one. Yeah. That one yeah. just, oh. <laughs> There's one that could have went south in a hurry, right? And I played with JR, and yeah. I love JR, too. Uh, Brad May uh, could do some stuff. But – and, and you love it, right? Like, I love hearing the stories from other people that do it because I did it. So you always like to hear. Uh, I didn't have too many more. I had a couple followers with me that would kind of help me out a little bit. Phil Sykes would kind of want to <laughs> help me out sometimes. But I was kind of everywhere I went, I was kind of the lead dog there. Squid, final one for Bernie before we let him go. He's got some beavers to kill. No, just – yeah, you gotta go catch some. <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, no, I I always love watching Bernie play when we played against some stuff, and and you know it's funny. Uh, I always wanted to play in a warm climate. I, like when the team was in L.A., I always said like, oh God, would I ever love to come out here and play? Yeah. And, I never got that sure opportunity, and uh, you know, but uh, it would have been so nice to play there, especially when you know Bernie was there, and then when Gretz came, and would have been like, oh wow, this this would have been well, I don't even know how many goals I would have scored playing with those guys. Wow, you would have <laughs> loved it, Ricky. Yeah, oh, you'd hit fifty in a heartbeat. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Bernie, you want to thank the only, you. The only, the only, the only downside, Bernie, was a practice rink at Culver City. Wow. Oh, terrible, bud, wasn't it? It was. But you know what, Ricky, <laughs> if, if that was the worst of your problems, if you're playing with Gretz, you'd be all right with it. Playing in the water. Yeah, well, that's it, true. You yeah. Culver City too. Yeah. Yeah, I right. think you, I think you could squeeze that one into your uh, daily itinerary. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. Well, Bernie, I so. thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. The great stories. Uh, best of luck uh, in your pursuit of those uh, pesky beavers at the golf course, and I uh, hope you play well. Got it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, Ricky. Oh.